0: Hi guys, this is Liz. I wanted to put a little introduction in front of this because obviously for the past month or so, I have been doing things solo. Uh, For those of you who might be new listeners and who have started with the most recent episodes, uh, I did start this podcast off with a co-host, Ashley Shares, who is the Director of Preservation for the Historic Oakland Foundation here in Atlanta. For those of you who have been listening since the beginning, this will be exciting because it's a little bit of a return. Uh, This was actually the last episode in two parts that Ashley and I recorded together last month when we were in New Orleans. I wanted to save it on purpose because I think it's a great topic to release for Mardi Gras. But of course, it is a little bittersweet because we miss Ashley. So... Hopefully that gives you a little perspective. I just wanted to let you know up front. Also, you will notice that our traditional explicit warning is up front. Uh, I have been doing things a little bit cleaner in terms of language on my own. However, this one was no holds barred, and I certainly am guilty of four-letter words as much as anyone else. This was a really interesting episode. Um, Our interview subject is really, really fantastic. I can't say enough wonderful things about Emily Hopefully you all enjoy it, I think it's a really fascinating topic, and these two-part episodes are tough because there's just so much to cover, but I think we tried to cram as much great information about New Orleans cemeteries and the really unique aspects of them as we could. So hopefully you all enjoy.
1: Hey, this is Ashley and Liz from Tune with a View. We wanted to let you know that that little E by our podcast doesn't mean easy, it means explicit. So if you are sensitive to adult content and explicit language, we recommend that you don't listen to this podcast. Thank you.
0: Tuesday, February 25th is going to be Mardi Gras 2020. One of our most requested topics here on Tomb of the View is a discussion of New Orleans cemeteries. Even if you don't have a passing interest in cemeteries, everyone, whether they've seen Easy Rider or have just heard good stories about Voodoo and Marie Laveau, definitely has an interest in New Orleans cemeteries. Today, we're gonna be talking to a 10-year veteran who has not only lived in New Orleans, but has intimate knowledge and has worked in just about every cemetery in the city. We're gonna be exploring for Mardi Gras probably the most distinctive cemeteries in the United States. Today we're talking all things New Orleans. I'm Liz Clappen. And I'm Ashley
1: Shares, and this is Team with a View.
0: So today we have a pretty exciting guest star, and this is one that I feel like Ashley in particular has been teasing for basically since we started the podcast. Uh, we have a delightful young lady by the name of Emily Ford, and... Emily is basically the best person you can probably talk to about New Orleans cemeteries. And I think it's because a lot of people go there as tourists, but very few people have as intimate a working knowledge and just everyday living and experiencing of them as she does. So today we want to talk a little bit about what makes New Orleans cemeteries unique. why they continue to fascinate people in so many ways. And above all else, what you, as delightful taphophiles on our show, really need to know about them, because I feel like it's one of those things that there's a lot of misconceptions out about them. A lot of people maybe have only seen them in the movies. We're trying to give you as comprehensive a view of New Orleans cemeteries as possible. So welcome to Emily. Thank you.
2: I'm happy <laughs> to be here.
0: And I should say that we are actually in New Orleans, and we are broadcasting live from the kitchen of Emily Ford's shotgun. <laughs> um, it's it's a very top-secret location. We cannot reveal exactly where it is because we don't want her to be mobbed by celebrity fans, but... Fun. All right, Emily, so tell us a little bit about what brought you to New Orleans in the first place.
2: Um, well, um... I used to tell people, well, I, you know, I, I, I've been getting kicked out of Bourbon Street bars since I was nine, uh, which is kind of true. My dad would take us to bars, me and my sister, when we were that age, and they would kick him out for bringing us in. Uh, my parents were engaged in New Orleans. Uh, my dad spent a lot of time here when he was young. Um, so when I was a kid, we would always come up to visit. Um, and as soon as I could drive, um, I was driving myself. And as soon as I could feasibly moved here, move here, I moved here. Um, so it, it's always been a place that I care about. Um, I have a photograph of me when I was 13 in Lafayette, number one, um, that I have now in my office. Um, it's, um, I feel like it's rare for a lot of people to, uh, have a consistent calling that, that goes on that long. Um, and I think I've been really, really lucky that this is just kind of what I've always wanted to do. This is always where I've wanted to be.
1: Did you know from that young of an age that you wanted to do something with history and with preservation? Or was it more of just a fascination?
2: I knew I wanted to do history work. Um, I was a history major uh, major, um, as an undergrad, although that was post-colonial history um, in South America and South Africa. But um, I always knew I wanted to do history work. Um, I I really thought that I would uh, do something a little bit more. I, I almost did museum studies work. Um, but in around 2008, I started working in cemeteries and I, I didn't look back.
0: That's interesting that your background would have started in colonialism, because arguably there is no city in the United States that is more shaped by colonial identity than New Orleans. And I think that that's one of the things that when people come here, there's just layer upon layer, whether it's the French era or the Spanish era of the city, or even within the modern era, how much the city has changed and continues to change. So I think that's, I don't know, that that to me is fascinating. It makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, when you think about, I mean, colonialism in the cemeteries is, like, it's its own whole thing, like, that I'm sure we'll get into. But, like, I've always said that, that, like, the history of New Orleans can be broken down into uh, people who are established getting really mad at the newcomers. And this has happened since 1718. So you have, you know... Uh, Native American folk, the Chapitoulas, being pretty upset that these French folks are here. And then the French folks, you know, really could have, like, done without the Spanish. And they were just like, man, like, these newcomers is really, you know, we're going to revolt against them. And then everybody hated the Americans. And then later on, everybody hated the Irish and Germans who came in the 1840s. And then the Irish and Germans that became established really hated those next, you know, that next group of immigrants. Um, and that continues on until today. Like, you know, um, I just, re- I worked on a uh, I observed a filming, um, on Wednesday and I noticed that every single person who introduced themselves to me, um, did so by saying like, hi, I'm so-and-so I've lived here for 10 years or hi, I'm so-and-so I've been here for 30 years. Like it had to be this pedigree because I, I, for whatever reason they were just so upset with those newcomers, you know, and not identifying themselves as, as otherwise that is, that is the, the soul of new Orleans.
0: And that's great. I, and speaking, I guess, as Ashley and I both live in Atlanta, Atlanta is one of those cities where if you meet someone who, it's kind of like L.A. in that respect. If you meet someone who's a native of Atlanta, it's like, well, shit. You stayed? Wow. Because it's, you know, everybody calls it the capital of the New South. But the It's, big,
1: a, it's a city of transplants.
0: It is a city of transplants. But the thing that's interesting is is that New Orleans, to me, is the classic port city. Absolutely. And there are so many, I mean, I grew up near Boston, Ashley grew up in Chicago, a lot of East Coast cities that are big immigration cities, people may immigrate through New York, Philadelphia, Boston, but they don't stay. Mm -hmm. New Orleans, people come and they stay and they put down roots.
2: Well, it depends on the time period. There was a time in the 1840s that New Orleans was the second largest port for immigration, second only to New York. Um, and that was really the, the Irish and Germans, but most of them didn't stay. They would, they, because a lot of those folks, they were agricultural folk. They want, they went to pass Christiane they went to, you know, up uh, Natchez, um, Texas. Um, I mean, and so that's still kind of the case, um, here where we had, you know, say like the big, the big boom after Katrina where, you know, the city lost, in some places, more than half of its population, and it was replaced, but, but not by the same people. And a lot of those folks, you know, made it made it here for a while, and then moved to Austin. You know, most a lot of them moved to Austin. Um, so we still have that where you know. Which maybe says
0: more about Austin than it does about New
2: Orleans. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, like that's still that's still the case where people, you know, sure they do stay. You know, there's plenty of people who visit and just don't leave. Um, but there's a lot of people who, you know, they, they stay for a year or two and, um, you know, the, the fun, um, of living in the city is also, uh, it's paired with the challenges of living in the city and new Orleans has a lot of problems that need to be solved. You know, um, the city's great until you want to have kids and then you have to figure out how to navigate charter schools. You know, the city's great until you want to get to work on time and the, and the streets are bad, you know, um, we, we all love being here because it's hard to be here.
0: You're a suffering people. I mean, (laughs) I will say even in our undisclosed recording location, we are in the Irish channel and being Irish myself, the red hair gives it away. There's nothing you can say about the Irish of the fact that they are suffering people. And you know what? It doesn't matter where you are. As long as there's beer, you can suffer. (laughs) So obviously we want to talk mainly about cemeteries. And I will say that what's exciting is that we actually are going to have Emily as a guest for two weeks. And we wanted to start by giving you kind of a primer on New Orleans cemeteries for Mardi Gras, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But next week, we're going to come back with a more traditional Taffy files episode that talks about Emily because for the past five years, Emily has run her own business where she works in cemeteries, particularly in tomb restoration. So, We kind of wanted to highlight both of them because New Orleans cemeteries are just such a fascinating topic that I feel like Ashley and I couldn't do them justice. So we definitely wanted to cover them. But also, Emily and what she has accomplished over the past five years as a business owner in a weird niche is really, really impressive to us, too. So if ever there was a (laughs) two-weeker, I mean, you know, some of our other files, we love Brenda, we love Sam, but... We can't do two weeks with them. We can do two weeks with them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Ashley, what do you want to start with? What do you want to talk about first when it comes to New Orleans cemeteries?
1: Well, I think we already touched on it very briefly. Is the colonialism issue and how these cemeteries formed in the way that they formed and and where they formed? Um, is that a good
2: place for you yeah, to start, Emily? Absolutely. Okay. I just I uh, I just got all of the. Um, of uh, excavation reports from the excavations of the first cemetery in New Orleans. Um yeah the first cemetery in New Orleans was uh it uh, it was in the French quarter um, on St. Peter Street between Toulouse actually and, and and you know I'll probably take you guys by it uh, because it's still there. Um it was between St. Peter Street, Toulouse, uh, Rampart and Burgundy Streets. This was the first cemetery for the city. It was entirely below ground. Um, it was active from about seven at least 1726, probably 1718. And it was closed in the 1780s. Which there's something critical there that I think is really interesting. Um, 1789, being the time the the cemetery, St. Peter Street Cemetery was closed, is also the same year that the um, Cemetery of the Holy Innocents in Paris was closed. And so we'll say, oh, there was usually the narrative for St. Peter Street Cemetery is, well, there was a fire, there was a flood, and there was an epidemic. So the cemetery filled up. Very Um, biblical. And, and it's true, like, I, I did, I, I'm extremely skeptical of all of the the narratives around the cemetery, so I was like, oh yeah, sure, there wasn't a fire, a flood, an epidemic. There actually was. Um, and uh, the, the Spanish governor at the time did petition the king of Spain to get a new cemetery. That's in the Cabildos records, that's that's real. But I think that we're missing the a big part of it when we don't remember that, even though at the time the, the New Orleans was Spanish, most of the people were French speakers, they were tied very very closely culturally to paris and in paris they're completely closing all of the cemeteries and they're they're establishing pere lachaise right and i think that we miss something by not realizing there's a relationship there um, to close saint peter street cemetery and to open st louis cemetery number one which is our our first above ground cemetery um, moving it outside of the, the boundaries of the city um, Emily, you're giving me goosebumps. What? This is fantastic. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Good.
0: <laughs> no, no. And so if you guys remember going back when we had originally started our three-part history of American cemeteries, we talked about the closing of the Cemetery of Innocents, and if you recall those delightful half-decomposed bodies spilling out into the streets, into the public markets. This is This to me is fantastic, because we've talked a lot about the uniqueness of American cemeteries. But you cannot talk about American cemeteries without forgetting the fact that America started as colonies. Whether it was a Spanish colony, whether it was a French colony, whether it was a British colony, they are carrying their European traditions. And this to me is very exciting because we're drawing parallels in the fact that you still have a foreign power running things in New Orleans, running things in what would become the United
2: States? Well, it, it gets so much better and, and I want to get into that, but I, I don't want to leave St. Peter street behind just yet because I think that we, we also have so much to learn from St. Peter street. Um, it was a built on, it was, uh, closed in 1789 and it was actually just built on top of, um, the, the, the remains were never moved. Um, which there's some fun documentation about just whose fault that is, um, <laughs> between the city and the, and the, uh, the Catholic church. And, and it really comes, it boils down to a real estate dispute, um, but when those, those, the, the, that cemetery has been excavated in the parts that it, it's been excavated, the people who were removed from that cemetery were overwhelmingly African born. Um, they, because most a lot of the col- uh, colonists, going back to the same traditions, this Philippe Berrier stuff, they were all buried in the church in, in St. Louis Cathedral. Um, so most of these folks were poor, they were many were probably enslaved. Um, a lot of them were of mixed, uh, Race. They were they were of mixed African and Native American uh, race, and just the amount of information that we've been able to get about the early lives of the enslaved in colonial New Orleans is is critical. Um, that cemetery is not marked. Um, there is not a memorial there, um, but I think it's just really important for us before we you know go on into like you know the visual grandeur of this the the New Orleans cemeteries to remember they're there you know and they're and they're super important too. Um, but when you're talking about the uh, how great this this parallel is with the uh, the French, so cemetery of the Holy Innocents, they're removing remains and they're putting them in charnel houses, right? They're putting them in ossuaries. Um, we've seen the photographs. Absolutely. So New Orleans takes this idea like it. We we never left the charnel house behind. We ended up in this like weird midpoint, and this would probably be a time. I, Ashley, you're probably going to ask about how the tombs work. Um, and this would probably be a good time to, to discuss how they do work because we're, if, 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 Cemetery of the Holy Innocents is, is reusing graves, removing the bones, putting them in charnel houses, New Orleans tombs are doing the exact same thing in just one little building. Um, and so they become family charnel houses. And so instead of removing the remains and, you know, placing them elsewhere, they're placed into the caveau, um, although the historic term is charnier, which is, Charnel House.
0: Absolutely.
2: Um so uh we, we end up you know, we're we are so linked to the Holy Innocence.
0: Is is Cavot more of a Creole term?
2: You know what I think the cavo co- comes from? Like fifty years ago, do you know what they call beignets? Donuts. Like this is this is this is just something that like we if The we can, remarketing. Exactly. If we can come up with a French word for it, we're gonna use it. Cavo just means vault. That's yeah, all I it mean, means.
0: It makes sense, and mm-hmm. that's why it never—I never thought to question it. But
2: mm-hmm. oh, well, caveau does show up like in some of the French documentation, but they are just using the term vault in general. Like most of our laws, will say tombs and vaults, just kind of like a general blanket term.
0: It's an interchangeable.
2: Yeah, but for like say um, the early drawings, what what was left of architectural drawings of early tombs mark those underground spaces as Charniers, not cavas.
0: So. If you remember back when we talked about this, the idea was that in European cemeteries, you essentially rented your grave space for a period of seven years, which was considered to be the time that it took for the majority of the soft tissue, connective tissue to decompose. At that point, your remains would be disinterred, moved to the charnel house, which was essentially, like we said, an ossuary. It's a house of bones. And then your grave would be reused for a new burial. This is one of those things that I think that is very much misunderstood. It's one of the reasons I think that tours of New Orleans cemeteries are so popular. Because people come in and they're like, Get the fuck out of here. That's not really what you do. And I know that I've had this conversation with numerous people. And I'm trying to explain to them. And then I'll show them a book that actually has a diagram of a family tomb in New Orleans. And they're like, Well, no shit. And
1: people forget the... What's happening in New Orleans isn't unique to just New Orleans. It's something that's happening in a lot of other countries um, in the same manner, but not always in the same type of tomb style. You know, a lot of family graves are reused in in Cuba and and other places like that, even if it's not um, in the same kind of house shape. Um, The idea of perpetually owning a piece of burial land is not something that everybody practices. It's something that is, it's across the board, very, very American. American. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and New Orleans just happens to be one of the places where that's not really the case.
2: Well, I mean, you, you do. So that's what this is where we get stuck in the middle, though, because people mm-hmm. families do own family tombs, you know, and they, and they just can use them, honestly, in perpetuity, at least as long as they're not um, embalming. Um, embalming does kind of complicate it. Um, but when you're talking about... Um, Different countries, you know, having a similar uh, model. Um, it, something that's critical to understand about New Orleans cemeteries is that the the tombs, as we see them, above ground burial, as we understand it, is essentially a, a Spanish colonial artifact. Um, it doesn't really, um, if you see tombs, especially wall vault structures, um, their presence in Central America, and this is where you don't you don't have ownership, where the remains are removed and they're placed in charnel houses. Um, the Philippines, um, have above ground burial, um, Cuba, obviously Puerto Rico. Um, so we're getting it from Spain. Um, one thing that I can, I I will never miss the opportunity to dispel above ground burial in new Orleans has very little to do with the water table. Um, we have more than eight Jewish cemeteries. They are all below ground. We can absolutely bury below ground. Um, it's not fun, but we do it. Um,
0: but that's also something that in terms of Jew, and, and we will do a Jewish cemeteries mm-hmm. podcast. I promise I've got it planned out for the future. i got the people I want to talk to. I know a lot of people have asked to talk about the Jewish cemeteries because we certainly covered mainstream Protestants. We certainly covered Catholics. Don't worry, I have a plan. But in that case, it is a cultural necessity. They it's believe that there is a, not biblical, but they, a scriptural moratorium mm-hmm. that requires them to be buried in earth. Mm-hmm. And... I don't think that anybody is looking to dispute that
2: here. Hmm? Oh, oh no, 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 yeah. no. But, but a lot of folks will, will think that we only ab- bury above ground uh, because, because can't we, bury we can't bury below ground, which is not true. We absolutely can, and we do. Um, I, there are many cemeteries, including St. Peter Street, our first cemetery, that, um, that are below ground. Uh, St. Louis Number 1, which is our first cemetery, a lot of it still was, I mean, it really didn't move above ground for at least 10 years. Um, and then when we have, what we have in between like 1800 and, um, like 1830 is like very primitive structures, you know, where people are basically just laying the casket on the ground and building a little building around it. Um, those are what we call step tombs. Um, from the, uh... Is that
0: like a variation on the box tomb?
2: No, well, we did have box tombs, um, which those are, those survive upriver. Most of those aren't, aren't around in New Orleans anymore. Um, but no, uh, step tombs are basically... Um, where you would lay the casket on the ground, and you would just start laying your bricks up up around it. Um, and because uh, at this period of time we're doing vault construction, we're not using slabs to make roofs. Um, it's actually building that brick arch to create the vault. Um, it makes it a lot easier if you just step the bricks in as you move up to make a smaller roof. You know, um, it and requires less
0: bricks in the long run. Exactly. Um, so
2: those they, they look like they have like little steps on them. So we call them step tombs. Um, a lot of those original tombs were built on top of in St. Louis number one. Um, that's one of those things when you have the family owning it for as long as they can't have, um, or as long as they will at this point, um, families just tend to want to, you know, n- mess with their tombs, you know? So there are, uh, some of the former box tombs in St. Louis number two, um, are now the slab that was on the box tomb is the roof of the new tomb. And so like, it looks totally normal until you stand on a ladder and you realize that it's a big ledger stone. Um, there's a lot of reusing, there's a lot of messing around, um, and, uh, that's really how we get, so in the 1830s we have a guy named, uh, Jacques-Nicolas Broussard de Puy, who comes from Paris, um, he probably went to, uh, the School of Beaux Arts, we can't prove it, um, but he came with a pattern book from Père Lachaise, and he is the one who comes and designs, like, grand high-style tombs, and he's the one who really kicks off the idea of, um your cemetery property being indicative of your wealth indicative of your 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 uh, culture um and and he's the one who makes the cemeteries beautiful he's the one who who is really uh the person who kind of creates uh new orleans cemetery architecture as we know it in the 1830s so before that we don't really have that um and and, and really uh, the 1820s we have our first protestant cemetery and the, that cemetery gerard street cemetery which was demolished in 1957 Doesn't look very different from northern cemeteries. Um, We have a lot of, um, our first garden cemetery was Cypress Grove Cemetery, it was 1840, um, and it was Protestant as heck. Like, you know, and and so we end up with these two um, streams where we have the American Protestant Anglo cemeteries and we have the French Catholic Creole cemeteries. And there are different guys working in them. There are different, there's different architecture. Um, and the, the people who are getting buried are very distinct. Um, and so that's, that, that creates like kind of two big streams in New Orleans cemeteries. Um, I mean, outside of, of course, the Jewish cemeteries, too, which develop mostly, honestly, very Anglo.
1: Did landscaping come into play at all with, with some of these early cemeteries?
2: Um, St. Louis, number one, has absolutely no plan at all. Um, there was no lot laid out lots. Um, it's still confusing as hell. Um, St. Louis number two was laid out in four squares, one of which was demolished. Um, but that one has laid out aisles, but there's, there was really no, especially the French Catholics, they just weren't, that wasn't their thing. That wasn't their cultural heritage, you know, it's really, um, Lafayette Cemetery number one, which is founded in 1833. Um, that's the, um, uptown folks who are mostly American um the garden district um they have an understanding of a garden style cemetery of a rural style cemetery um so Lafayette number 1 uh Del Upton wrote an article about this where he called Lafayette number 1 a transitional cemetery between an urban cemetery and the rural cemetery i think he was i think he visited for a week and made a lot of presumptions um sounds like Del Upton yeah no It. it, it i We get a lot of these where people will, like, visit a New Orleans cemetery and they'll write an article as if, like, nobody would walked through one before, Um, you know, which can be – it tends to involve us reinventing the wheel a lot. Um,
0: And, and arguably, if you are not familiar with who Del Upton is, Del Upton is now a professor emeritus. Uh, He taught for a long time at the University of California at Berkeley. Um, I believe now he's a professor emeritus at UCLA he has written some of the most definitive books on American architecture. So he's an architectural historian and he is a big part in the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s of developing what's known as the vernacular architecture movement. The idea that we shouldn't just be studying high style buildings. We should be looking at local artisans. We should be looking at what ordinary people are building and Dalton it, I know someday we will do a piece on concrete markers, particularly vernacular markers that people hand make. He's very interesting, but he's also very high style. And I think that the one of the things is, is if you can boil everything that we do as cemetery professionals down to something is that cemeteries are the most nitty gritty practical of all architectural styles. You know, if you follow along with our resources often, We cite um, Charles David Sloan's The Last Great Necessity and they are the last great necessity of society. Mm They are a functional utilitarian part of society. Which is completely different than even something like a library or a courthouse. Which even though they serve a purpose.
1: Not everyone goes there. Not everyone goes there. (laughs) And they
0: don't you can build a concrete block that's a courthouse. It doesn't have to be high style. It doesn't have Mm. to be beautiful. Cemeteries are that to the 10th degree. They are so much more an expression of personal grief and personal belief, but also the larger cultural picture.
2: Absolutely. And sorry, that's what people are doing in New Orleans. They're they're really just bringing what they know. Um,
0: And I think that that's one of the things that's so interesting, because as you walk through New Orleans cemeteries, there are a lot of layers. Whereas rural cemeteries are beautiful. They really are, but they are a very homogeneous Very narrow slice. Even a Victorian society. Well, because
1: they're planned out exactly Mm -hmm. in a way. They have a landscape architect that has at least somewhat made an effort to create the pathways and pick out some of the landscaping. When you have a space, whether it be in New Orleans or really anywhere in America, where that's not the case, you have different families with very different aesthetics and. Different families coming in over many generations and making changes. You get exactly. a space that's so much more. I'm not saying that rural garden cemeteries aren't interesting, but you get a space that's a little bit more quirky um, and a little bit more, to me, very interesting.
2: Absolutely, people people are, are are interacting with their their family graves over and over and over and over again, literally over centuries. Um, people are still being buried in St. Louis Cemetery Number One. It was founded in 1789. Um, you know. And how often can
0: you say that? Unless it's a particularly rural place in a city that's almost unheard of.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, 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 (laughs) and, and, like.
0: We have a celebrity guest. His name is Walter, and he is a beautiful ginger tomcat, and he
2: wants to be the star of the show. Do you hear that? She called you a tomcat. He's a good man. He's a good man until he jumps into my lap and puts his claws on me. But he's good.
0: Isn't that how all men are?
2: (laughs) Um. Here, uh, what else? Where do you want to kind of go from here? Uh, like, in my mind, we are in like the middle of the nineteenth century.
0: No, and but <laughs> this is a good this is a good place because I think we have talked so much about how the Victorian cemeteries developed, sure. and you're hearing a completely different story mm-hmm. here. And mm-hmm. you know, it may be a bold statement for me to make, but to me, the general narrative that you hear about New Orleans cemeteries
2: is largely bullshit. Oh absolutely. I will, and and like when, it it just makes me so happy when we're talking about like this this change over time because what what I've heard since I started working in the city cemetery well in in New Orleans cemeteries uh, ten years ago, uh, which is well, they're outdoor museums. no, they absolutely are not. They are not that static at all. um, you know, and uh, so it's it's really great to be able to talk about like, the fact that, one, they're, they're not abandoned, um, which is another kind of vein of that, that narrative, um, as if they are, um, there's a, there is a book called How Buildings Learn, and I can't remember who, who wrote it, uh, but I had to read it for grad school and the cover of the book has two new orleans buildings on it Um, they're on carondelet street and i was like oh wonderful you know i'm gonna read this book it's gonna have some new orleans stuff in it there was a single reference for new orleans in that book and it was in the (laughs) and it was in the introduction and it was somebody talking about preservation treatment and he said well you know things things should be um they should have the patina of age but they should not appear too old um parentheses Except for New Orleans, which fosters a cult of decay, and and I found that to be so deeply insulting. Um, but it, it does speak to something that we do. That New Orleans sort of packages for the outside eye, where we kind of treat our cemeteries as if they are like these eerie, abandoned places. You know, um, well, just look at all the ghost tour kind of stuff, absolutely. and like
1: it's, I think Savannah has a similar issue. I mean, if you check into a hotel in Savannah or New Orleans, I mean, what you you see the kiosk, like 50% of the brochures in that kiosk has something to do with a ghost tour with the cemeteries and and with the cities themselves. I mean, they're steeped in this kind of mystery and people are so obsessed with these mysteries and these ghosts that they really overlook what's a lot of times, more interesting, which is the actual history of them.
2: Absolutely, um, and that's
0: that's one of the reasons that that's it, why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, if you've been listening since the <laughs> beginning. It's just like there are so many things that you can dive into in New Orleans that you, if you're into ghosts, you know, the fuck it, I don't really care. Yeah, you can you can
2: believe in ghosts. You can do whatever you want. Just don't hurt anybody's property. That's exactly it. Yeah, just be responsible. And it'd be nice to just know that, you know, someone's mom's buried there. Because that's really what it comes down to.
0: It is. And other people might not share your beliefs anymore. Mm. So that, I mean, I'm not going to force my beliefs on you. I mean, you know, we're welcome to go out to a restaurant. If you are a vegetarian, that's great. (laughs) Uh, But don't bitch at me when I get a steak. (laughs) So, I mean, I think we can agree to disagree on that. But I think our goal was that there is so much great stuff that you can talk about. And things that if you didn't know them your experience of that place would not be the same
1: i want to take it a step further though i think that a lot of what's written about new orleans cemeteries is about their history and the history is very important but this is my second time in new orleans and the first time i was here i was i was getting to do a little bit of work with emily on a family tomb um which is yeah. very interesting And to learn about the dynamic of families that are still deeply involved is so interesting. And that's something that no one really talks about is the cemeteries now. I mean, yes, they have this long, beautiful history, but what's going on in them today with the families and with people that are helping families take care of them is also super interesting and something I want to talk
2: about. Absolutely. It's, 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 um, it is the joy of my work. It is the joy of my life. And it is why I will do it for the rest of my life is the fact that I can, I've gotten to meet so many people who are, um, who are, are continually active with their family cemeteries or with their family tombs their family burial property. Um, and, and that, and that really runs the gamut, you know, that's like old new Orleans families who have been burying in the same tomb since the 1830s, uh, which, there's a specific tomb in Lafayette Cemetery Number One that has at least a hundred burials in it, um, and there's plenty of tombs that are that way. Um, there is such a deep connection with that place for those people, and I think it's 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 very nurturing. And it's also um, it's you know a, a tradition for them um, to celebrate All Saints Day, uh, which is a big thing here, um, to come to the tomb um, on November first and decorate it. But it's also a time when you bring your kids, and you you um, I had a, a client who. Um, lives in Hawaii but when he visited he brought all his grandkids to the family tomb they had a little picnic and he sat on a chair in front of the tomb and he pointed out all the names and he told all of those kids just how they related to those people who were buried in that tomb and those kids are going to come back in 30 years they're going to be just as involved with that tomb as as the family was when the tomb was built in 1886 in, in the case of that specific tomb um, families move tombs.
0: Very, very much an anti-American attitude. We've talked a lot about how, in the 20th century in particular, there is this removal from the grave.
2: Absolutely, yes. And, th-
0: and this, to me, is the antithesis of that. And I guess it's because this is, to a large degree, not an American tradition. Yeah. And there is still this idea that the
2: grave is a
0: place of heritage, and it's a place to connect with your ancestors. Mm-hmm.
2: That to me is very refreshing. Yeah, well, and it's also a place. I mean, there there's that side of it, um, and and that's you know obviously a side that takes so much joy in. But the, I think it's also important to mention that it's um it's also a place for people to be vulnerable. It's also a place for people to visit and feel grief um, and have private moments and you know think about you know even you know people who were more recently buried there. Um, it's you know it is. It is a long, long, long tradition, but it also is very, very, very fresh. Um, I, I spoke with a lady um, a couple days ago who was cleaning up her family tomb. Um, you know, and she showed up and she, she put her apron on and she had her little gloves and she's you know, um, and uh, she her niece brings that you know little girls uh, to that time, uh, to that plot um, every year. They have a little picnic, um, but she you know she also even shared with me you know some of the things about the family that were you know hard or things that you know she thinks about when she visits the, the cemetery it is it is a it is so complex how people interact with the fact that all of their descendants are buried in one single three by eight foot space um and and, and it, it, it is um it's really, really special. And, and I don't think that, um, I know we have a tendency to believe that that's sort of gone by the wayside, that the new generations don't do that, but we really, we have so many that do. Um, I'm thinking about what you're saying about um, that separation from death. And yeah, we you know we we are much more intimate with that, but I I suppose that kind of almost feeds into the narrative for New Orleans, doesn't it? You know, we actually oh we're we're so much more intimate with (laughs) death, but it's true. It is it it is it is real. I don't think
0: it's necessarily in a negative way. No, because the separation from death, I think, also has led to a lot of jaded attitudes in American culture, where people have a very difficult time dealing with death Mm -hmm. because they never confront it. Absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how many times. I would have a coworker who died or their spouse died or their parent died Mm. and I would go with coworkers and these people were, you know, in their thirties and had never been to a funeral. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And granted, that's a very lucky thing of modern medicine and modern culture that they, they're lucky people live longer. You know, disease does not have the hold that it did. But still, if you've never had to deal with it, I feel like if you're a 35 year old that's never had to deal with death and Mm -hmm. suddenly you do,
1: you're not prepared for it.
0: It's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. The The All Saints Day tradition here reminds me, or it reminds me a little bit of kind of like Decoration Day in more, um, like up in, uh, like Appalachia. Sorry, Appalachia. Um, and other places like that they, that's yeah, where that's where i've seen it
2: across the south a- alabama, yeah. well, alabama i yes. we don't we there don't too, do, yeah. yeah we don't do decoration day in louisiana but but that's mostly it's important to remember northern Louisiana is protestant southern louisiana's catholic so they, they might actually in, in up in treport um this is the place i've seen all, all it since Day
0: is a very
2: catholic tradition. it is absolutely well i mean and that's and we I, talked about that back in our cathadex i lo- i love thinking about it cuz i mean it's 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 also it's a very romantic catholic Tradition, so it's it's really you know the Spanish and French Catholics, Um, and I'm just like yeah one you know just one has chrysanthemums and the other one has marigolds you know and that's that's about you know uh, the extent of the differences, Um, but uh, yeah I I I, I actually didn't know about Decoration Day until I guess 2016 when we we, in Alabama yeah in Alabama and I thought it was just so remarkable Um, it is it's very similar. Um, for, for All Saints Day. People really take it very seriously that their tomb looks nice on All Saints Day. Um, but t- All Saints Day itself has, has changed over the centuries. Um, in New Orleans, up until about the 1860s, it was a, ni- a nighttime um, celebration. Um, so people would go into the cemeteries of New Orleans and they would burn candles um, and they would sit vigil overnight. Um, after the, and and when, when you visit New Orleans cemeteries, a lot of the older tombs, especially in the St. Louis cemeteries, you will see torch or well, well, uh, lamps on the fences around the tombs and they were meant to be lit. Um, in Lafayette, number one, um, there's a tomb that has torch holders on either side, um, to light the tomb at night. Um, we stopped doing that in the 1860s. Um, I'm not exactly sure why. Um, but the, uh, uptown, or uptown, (laughs) upriver cemeteries still do that. And you can look up videos of, or, or photographs of um, people burning uh, candles in the um, cemeteries outside of New Orleans. Um, although these days they're starting to use the LED lights. It's um, probably safer. It, I think it's yeah. safer, but people get really mad about it. Like They, they find it to be really uh, inappropriate and like cheesy. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's changed. It
0: makes so much sense. I mean, as somebody who was predominantly raised Catholic, the whole idea of vigil is something that I, even the most conservative Catholic churches, you know, will still celebrate Easter vigil, which if you've never sat through an Easter vigil, it is the marathon of all Catholic services. And it
2: starts, most churches start it with a bonfire in front of the church. That's interesting. Well, cause like, um, th- this isn't, this is more of a Louisiana culture thing than a cemetery thing. But, um, the bonfires that we have upriver uh, for Christmas Eve, um, I went this year, um, which
0: theoretically is a vigil mass. Well, so that's
2: the whole thing. Like, I went with a couple very secular friends, um, and I mean, I'm secular myself, but I was raised Catholic. And um, one of uh, the one of the guys that I was with, he was just like, yeah, you know, well, I don't, I don't really. Um, I don't really get this, and I, I, I had been drinking, and I was like, I was like, clearly you have not read your Joseph Campbell. Clearly you're missing out <laughs> on your Carl Jung. I was like, it's the solstice. Like The, the entire point of this is that we, we are lighting lights to keep each other warm and to just hope that maybe the sun returns someday. <laughs> you know? And it's all deeply symbolic, and it is. It's a it, it, it and um, it, it, it absolutely makes sense that folks in southern Louisiana like to just burn stuff at night. You know um, that that it happens on Christmas Eve and that it happens on All Saints' Day.
0: The whole idea of you know when there is no light in the world, you create an artificial light, and that gets you through just till the dawn. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that I think that even you know as somebody who's not a practicing Catholic anymore, the whole idea that you know they come into the church with this one light. And then everyone has a candle, and it starts Mm -hmm. at the back of the church, it comes to the front, and suddenly, you know, you have hundreds of candles blazing, and then, of course, you're going to sing a nice, nice and cheesy 1970s Catholic hymn, Christ Be Our
1: Light.
0: (laughs) It's one of those things, though, that it's a powerful communal message, and I think that death, again, today, is very separated from the sense of the Mm -hmm. community, but traditionally, particularly in Catholic groups, mourning was a communal Absolutely, absolutely because you were seen as a member of the body of christ by being a member of the church you were part of the body of christ Mm -hmm. so that to me is one of the interesting things because even in really catholic cities a place like boston or philadelphia i feel like there's nothing quite as visceral as what they do in new orleans
2: Uh, yeah well i mean there's there's definitely the you know their own our own brand of catholicism you know which is of course mixed with um you know african traditions um there's I, this has sort of fallen out of favor uh over the past few years but there's a guy who once said that new orleans was the northernmost caribbean city and so I, I do think there's something to be said for that um you know but but also uh new orleans is by by definition of its entire existence beset by disaster and beset by tragedy you know so there, there is that part where um that communal experience happens to be necessary a lot more often um I, uh, I wrote a, a series of, um, like, All Saints Day retrospectives for different years. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the big uh, epidemic years and stuff like that. The newspaper would write reviews of every cemetery um, for All Saints Day. And, you know, they would say who was there. Um, they would say who had, like, the fancy new tombs. Um, but they, they would also say, Very you know... Keeping Up with the Joneses. It sounds like yeah, the Society
1: pages.
2: Kind of, it was. Yeah, page six. Yeah, it, but they would also, but they would, you know, they would i mean a lot of it you you can't rely on those um all saints day reports because there's definitely a few that have, were recycled like the, i think between like 1903 and 1904 uh the times picayune just like forgot to send the guy out so they just like <laughs> printed the same one the next year um you know they'll include like interesting tablets and stuff there's one one uh all saints day retrospective from like the 1910s that like Described an Italian mother walking with her like ten kids, like yelling at them, trying to get them to like you know follow her into Metairie. Um, But a lot of times, especially after epidemics, you know, like those reports would talk of you know people experiencing the grief of like just so many people being buried in the cemetery over that year. And because uh, All Saints Day is in November, um, it usually coincided with the end of the annual yellow fever epidemics um, because they would always go just about till the first freeze. so uh
0: yellow fever if you're not familiar is carried by mosquitoes so when you get that first freeze the bugs die
2: absolutely and 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 everybody even before they understood that it came from mosquitoes they knew that yellow fever went away after the freeze you know um that was just a thing that people knew that was something that they hung on to and hoped for um but like 1853 1867 1847 1878 um those are a big big years and um yeah the retrospectives which talk of you know just that there were so many people there, that there were so many people visiting new graves um you know so there, there is that collective experience that is very specific to here and that everything is very tragic you know uh, we could be wiped away at any given point that is that is what the experience of living in new orleans is
1: well speaking of being wiped away then at any point let's talk about the about katrina and not just about katrina but about periodic flooding Mm -hmm. and things like that and how they affect the cemeteries um as a whole and how they affect tombs and how tombs were built in certain ways to help mitigate this possibility you know yeah i mean
0: overall i would i think that it's uh, give us a general guide to what we're going to see what we're going to experience and i know that obviously you have a very wide range mm-hmm. if you were going to st louis number one you're going to see something very different than if you go to holt cemetery absolutely but if you were to give the definitive guide to new orleans cemeteries
2: what do you think that people need to know what do you think is important to the to the outside eye um and that and that's really what i think is critical um and this is where i always kind of sound like some like a bit of a downer but i think that this is just the 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 condition of of my work um new orleans cemeteries have um are extremely vulnerable to being commodified as places of entertainment. Um, and I think that we, you know, we all know that there's this fine line that we, you know, we approach the cemeteries with respect. It, it, it's, it's. I think it's a little bit more difficult for even the best of us when we visit New Orleans cemeteries to, to be sure we keep that in mind. Um, especially because, honestly, the city of New Orleans gives us mixed messages, right? You know, there's so many people who want to make, I call it the creepy, sexy, scary stuff, you know, um want to make that central to the 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 narrative um and 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 it takes a it takes a lot of thoughtfulness to make sure that it doesn't but it's worth it um it is worth it to walk into any new orleans cemetery and think about it as other than its appearance being for the there for the same purpose as any cemetery in your hometown Um, and i think it's easy for us to forget that Um, beyond that um any of the cemeteries, when it comes to visiting them, um, the things that I love, um, that I would love for more people to be able to see, I think that people would delight in seeing, um, is just looking for those transitions. Like some, some of the weird stuff, like if you know your materials, um, the, uh, there's one kind of marble that was uh, quarried in, in Georgia that was only quarried in the 1930s, you know, but you see it on 1850s tombs you know um you see sandblasting next to hand carving you see like all of these just layers of interaction and um i think that people really really can enjoy the cemeteries best by by in all the different cemeteries by keeping an eye out for that kind of stuff um other things about the cemeteries i love the landscaping i love how we have some landscaping and sometimes we absolutely don't um New Orleans cemeteries are probably, um, to be visually understood, you almost have to really know what isn't there anymore. Um, or what New Orleans say is ain't there no more. Um, but uh, trying to imagine a historic landscape that like makes a cemetery look different. St. Louis number two, um, which we, y'all mentioned, um, uh, Easy Rider. Um, so anybody who's familiar with the Easy Rider acid scene, um, Throughout the entirety of that scene, there's this sound in the background. Where they're going, ting, ting, ting. You, have you seen, you've seen the scene, right? I have, yes. You know what that yeah. sound is? I don't. It's them driving the piles for I-10
0: no shit it's, it's that makes
2: perfect sense and, and that's right next to st louis cemetery number two like directly next to st louis cemetery number two and there was never any um sort of review about how driving hundreds of piles directly next to a cemetery that was founded in 1822 would affect it so when you visit st louis, St. louis number two you notice a lot of tombs are leaning at a 45 degree angle um it's not because the ground is bad it's because they it basically experienced a continuous earthquake for a year um but trying to imagine St. Louis number two before uh, the highway and before the giant lottery sign that hangs over the cemetery, um, the cemeteries really invite you to be playful with understanding their what their appearance because what you see is not what was there, and it's not what's going to be, um, you know. So, um,
0: and that's why the whole outdoor museum descriptor is, is really inaccurate. It is,
2: it's so inaccurate and it also leaves out the families, um, you know, to, to, I mean, I don't think it's very appropriate to tell a family member that this, this part of their family, this tomb that has been a part of their family for a hundred years needs to be preserved as if it was in a museum. I think that doesn't really give them very much agency. Um, yeah. So I, I, I try not to use that, that, um, approach. Um, and yeah, essentially like, um, any sort of, like, interactions happening in cemeteries, you, you will hear, like, tourists ask, like, you know, where can we go see, like, a jazz funeral or something? Like, th- there's, there are things that happen in the cemeteries that are very private. And as visitors, and as in the case of any cemetery, uh, we just we just let people do their thing and, and let them do what they want to, um, you know. Um, so and just be good people, neighbors, good visitors.
1: Yeah, so what can people do if they say someone who's listening to this wants to come to New Orleans and, and go to, to a cemetery. First, if they were to see one cemetery, which one do you think would be the most important mm. to see? And mm. and when they do, how can
2: they be here both curiously and respectfully? Absolutely. Well, I mean, and I would love that. Like the idea, especially for the cemeteries that are visited by tourists, everybody, it, it is a collective tone that is set. So if, 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 there, if people like show up with that thoughtfulness and that understanding of where they are, like knowing that they are in a sacred space, other people follow through. Like other people, you know, Lead me- by exactly. And it, and and it really makes a huge difference. Now, when it comes to visiting, like you know, if you you, you could only visit one cemetery, which one it would be? It's impossible for me to answer. I like I, I I just simply can't. But I mean, Metairie is a good place. Um, Metairie Cemetery is accessible. Um, it's big um it can accommodate a lot of visitors which i think is critical um and it's also lovely um so metairie cemetery is um i think a good place for a lot of folks um also i feel like you could go into metairie without the accompaniment of a tour guide and pretty much get what was going on there so you wouldn't need to like you could do your own research you can do you know you can experience the place on your own Um, metairie also
1: has some of the greatest sculpture i think too oh
2: god yes yeah, no, and, and Metairie, I think, Metairie can, Metairie, Metairie is a, it was almost set, it, it was, it was set up for visitors in 1873. That was almost the intention of that place.
0: It's worth mentioning that probably one of the coolest things about Metairie is that before Metairie was a cemetery, it was, what, Emily? It was a
2: race course.
0: And if you were to look at Metairie aerially, you can still see the damn race course. Mm-hmm. It's still there.
2: Absolutely. Um,
0: Metairie's probably one of my best, cemetery stories because I got locked into Metairie (laughs) and had to climb the fence to get out and had to climb the fence and the lowest point on the fence was right next to the fountain that was outside the fence so I had to jump into the fountain and startled the hell out of my Uber driver because he didn't know what the fuck I was doing but do you think that going to Metairie gives you that traditional New Orleans experience and Mm. this is maybe me playing devil's advocate because I have people who have told me it's so creepy. I don't get why you want to hang out in cemeteries. Cemeteries are terrible, except mm. for the cemeteries in New Orleans.
1: Mm. Mm. What? What is
2: that? Mm. What? I
0: mean, and granted, I mean, nobody here at the stable is going to dispute that New Orleans cemeteries
2: are unique. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's marketing. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, you know, I'm. I'm just curious if you would agree with that, but I mean, I would say it's marketing. You know, because like, there isn't anybody who's written anything ever about New Orleans, including in the 1830s. That didn't say, oh, you you must visit the cemeteries of New Orleans, you know. So, so for sure, like um, what 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 I do appreciate for Metairie, though, is a, like I said, it was built to accommodate that. Um, the other cemeteries, you know, um, St. Louis Three probably is a good one for that in that regard too. St. Louis Cemetery Number Three, because um, again, it's large enough. Because um, I can tell you for the cemeteries that have been. Listed as like must-see cemeteries for the past ten years, they are miserable to visit, you know. And, and, and it's they are victims of their own success. Um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't tell anybody to go to them because like you can't you can't have a silent moment in those places um, without hearing people shouting about Marie Laveau in the corner. And I mean it it, it, it takes away. It doesn't feel like a cemetery anymore, you know. With that kind of presence. So I think especially for people who are thoughtful enough to be listening to something like this, to think about what it means to visit a cemetery, um, the, the, the bigger, quieter, greener ones are probably going to be the most pleasurable, you know?
0: It's really hard when it comes to New Orleans cemeteries. I think you would probably agree with this to cut through all the bullshit.
2: Mm.
0: So arguably there are a few cemeteries that are more visible in popular culture
2: hmm Absolutely.
0: Than New Orleans cemeteries. Yeah. And, I mean, you can certainly pick which popular culture reference you, you want, but how is that fucked up cemeteries here? <laughs> how, how, how does that impact? And this is not me trying to point the finger, but we talked extensively when we did our our first Taft Files episode with Sam Bietler. Uh-huh. The fact that Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil has so irrevocably changed Cemeteries in Savannah. And if that book was never published, preservation, maintenance, ever every aspect of Savannah Cemeteries would be very different.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um so
0: well, how 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 has that happened here in Orlando?
2: Well, what and fortunately, you know, like you know, Sam and as you guys know, Sam and I are, are friends, and we talk about this a lot because I think Bonaventure <clears throat> Bonaventure set a really great example for how cem- uh, cemeteries could manage tourism and New Orleans has, has not taken a page from it, but I think one day when New Orleans does do better, we can help Bonaventure with some of their problems, you know um, how has filming and uh, fucked <laughs> uh, our cemeteries um, I think I think it is a lot easier to behave badly when you think you're in a movie set than when you think that you are someplace where someone's mom is buried um, so we really do get a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, especially, especially easy rider. Um, you know, You see somebody taking an acid trip in the
0: cemetery and yeah. sitting
2: on the statue's lap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, <laughs> was, I said this, it's really funny. I was just thinking about it last night. So that my dad used to say, you know, the thing about easy is everybody forgets they die in the end, you know? Um, but, um, no, Easy Rider. Be, be, being a film nerd, I would argue that's what makes the movie perfect. Oh no, no, absolutely! But yeah. when people want to emulate that behavior, they kind yeah. of forget that kind of important part. <laughs> it does not end well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so Easy Rider really kicked it off um, in the eighties. There's a lot of stuff like I think um, was it the Sex Pistols? There was some punk rock band that like broke into St. Louis Number Two. Um, so there's a lot of this like tradition of like um, of of mischief um, that comes from the outside. Um, you know, for the most part. Um, and that continues, um... and even the ones I
0: feel like that aren't necessary that that may just mention the
2: cemeteries. Mm-hmm.
0: It kind of we we visited Lafayette Number One today, and we discussed the Anne Rice phenomenon and some of the challenges of that. And that's something that if, if you have seen the film version of Interview with the Vampire. They never go to any It's not. Cemetery. It's not
2: in the cemetery. Yeah, and it drives me bloody nuts because everybody in Lafayette Number One will say that the cemetery, that, that it was filmed in that the there is no cemetery. There is one cemetery scene in that movie, and it is obviously a set. Um, it is. I, I someday we will
0: do a cemeteries in film podcast mm-hmm. and talk about how they get it wrong
2: every
1: day. On, oh my god!
2: Uh, oh, American Horror Story. Um, so the, like, the
1: Sleepy what? Hollow show—they mm. filmed some of their scenes in Oakland. Oakland opened in 1850. There's—it doesn't look anything <laughs> not, like no, Sleepy Hollow. No. no. <laughs> yeah. And every... I think I told someone from their set that I was like, you know, like you got this wrong. They're like, oh no, we'll like, cut that kind of stuff out. I was like, do you even know what you're? No. They yeah. don't. Well, they don't care. Though, no one watching knows either. Yeah. No but no. I watched. it. <laughs> I was like, that headstone is from like 1880. <laughs>
0: It uh, was really cute in that though. I did like the guy
2: that played Edgar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is this just is that just on? No, okay, it's been a little yeah. while. Yeah, okay. it's been a couple
0: of years, but right. <laughs> we yeah. can we can all we can all pause and appreciate. Nicobar yeah. Brain. Oof. But it, that would be a great episode someday, just to yeah. like pick out like our top ten worst cemetery scenes
2: in movies. Oh, for God's sake! Yeah. Um. Do you know the, the one that always really stuck with me was um, um, and it, it, it was like a split second one. Um, but it was from um, Boardwalk Empire. And uh, the Nucky Thompson, the main character, he visits his dead wife's grave. It's like one of the very last episodes. And I looked at it and I was like, that is fucking sandblasted. That is <laughs> absolutely unacceptable. This is, this this was is not a not She in the died 90- in 1888, yeah. and that is a sandblasted stone. That is just how, how unacceptable. Um, uh, for, for New Orleans Cemeteries, um, Love Song for Bobby Long. Um, which is a great movie, I, I, I recommend it. it. It is one of those movies that really, I think, does do a beautiful job in portraying New Orleans um, as a place where people live. Um, but uh, they, they filmed a, a scene of that in Carrollton, and they used a coping, which is a a, a, art, a way to artificially raise grade and, and make below ground burials. But they used a coping in a completely incorrect context, and it was because whatever the, the film scouting folks, they wanted something that looked like a below ground burial. Um, and so they very confusingly um, interpreted a New Orleans cemetery. Um, it's really bizarre. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I think mostly it's the behavior when it comes to the cemeteries, but it also it does mean um, that it's just that the volume of visitation is massive. Uh, the originals really, really messed up for Lafayette Number 1. NCIS um, New Orleans, which that's something else that's, imp- that's important to remember. These things actually are filmed in the cemeteries and the film crews are not always kind you know we end up with with a lot of damage you know and if the the city's not coming behind and monitoring it you know we we end up losing stuff and if a family has owned a tomb for a hundred years if they've owned it for 30 years it doesn't really matter and say that tomb is front and center in a, a shot for double jeopardy what 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 is the family's right in that regard of compensation and notification and this is something that does come up in in conversations where people have been the the, the property the the tombs themselves are the private property of the families and if they are featured say like some jackass does like jumps up and down on it in this episode of the originals um, and all of a sudden that tomb becomes a tourist stop you know uh, what is the responsibility to the families?
0: Because you know damn well if they were jumping up and down on their front porch
2: yes they would be compensated absolutely absolutely so this is something that we still need to be figuring out in new orleans cemeteries um but yeah it it really it creates a lot of problems that right now the city is just not equipped like just preservationists in the city are not equipped to mitigate those problems um so we got to do better you know and that's part of uh why i'm going to be here for a very long time um well, can we talk about?
1: Yeah, we, we the, did we
0: did kind of skip over. Yeah, Plenty. you I, literally
1: I, just were like, "Hey, fuck you! Let's talk about something
0: else first." <laughs> um, and this is why Ash is gonna smother me tonight in my sleep. Yeah. Well, I was just I kind of felt like there was a little bit more because we jumped from like the eighteen thirties to Hurricane Katrina. I was like, I know, hey, I know, we need I know. Whatever. Oh, bit. so I know. We gotta talk. We gotta talk about Katrina. You can't talk about New Orleans without talking about Katrina, and I, I know it's something that has definitely
2: been hashed over a lot but sure well I mean also I think that I think it's really 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 hard to understand um the depth of of grief that still exists around that and how it is um the topic itself exo- itself is deeply deeply sacred ground um and y- you don't fuck around with it you know so um I can say that I was not here for, for her King Katrina I cannot speak to the kind of grief that a lot of people had to experience and the kind of trauma that people had to experience but believe me it is so fucking real um so that that is there that is that is the acknowledgement of the sacredness of the topic um as far as the cemeteries are concerned um flooding um and and I, i would encourage anybody who's interested in this to read there's some really great books about this um there's a book called um um Desire and Disaster, Disaster and Desire, um, about the Katrina um, uh, boom that happened, just the land speculation that happened afterwards. Uh, boom and Blackout um, is another really good one. It goes from Katrina to the uh, Super Bowl Blackout, which we're so proud of that. Um, <laughs> but um, there's there's really, really good document... There's really good uh, research that's way, way better than what I know. Um, but, and,
0: and arguably... We're 15 years from Katrina now. Well, in September, we will be 15 years. Sure. That's a a, realistically speaking, that's a long time.
1: I mean, half a
2: generation, right? Well, it is. something, Something that's important. Like, my roommate is 26 years old. She was 10 years old when her house flooded. Like, believe me, that is still very real for her, you know. Um, and, and, and when it comes to recovery, different neighborhoods, we, we, we don't recover. This is not something you recover from. Um, but so the way that, the, that flooding occurred in Katrina, there was, it was not the Mississippi River. It was our canal systems. It was the industrial canal um, and the uh, Mississippi River Gulf outlet um, where the levees breached. There's actually not a lot of cemeteries over there. Um, St. Vincent de Paul Cemetery, which is in St. Claude uh, neighborhood, uh, probably would have gotten some water, but you wouldn't know it now. Um, the, uh, Canal Street Cemetery, so Metairie Cemetery, Greenwood, um, there's, there's another, like, 10 over there, um, were devastated. Um, they had about 10 feet of water, um, there, um, Metairie lost a lot of buildings. The tombs, for the most part, survived. Um, I don't know of any tombs that were completely destroyed in Katrina, other than Holt. Um, the markers, the, the the handmade below ground markers in, in Holt Cemetery uh, were pretty much destroyed. Although there's actually four or five that I know have been there since the 1880s, which is pretty, pretty freaking impressive. Um, so yeah, um, when Ashley, you were talking about the materials. So flooding is a reality. It always has been a reality. Um, there's a, a, an event that I, uh, in New Orleans history called the uh, Sauvage's Crevasse, um, which happened in the 1840s when the Mississippi lever, uh, river, uh, river Levee broke and they couldn't fix it for like three months and the whole city was just flooded for three months and everybody just seems to have made do. Like I read the <laughs> newspapers and they were just like, yeah, we just take boats. It's cool. You know, um, it's, it's, it's really interesting just how folks were just like, just a bit normalizing it. Um, but say in the case of, say, Sabe's crevasse, which did flood all of the cemeteries that were existing at the time, um, those tombs were built out of brick. They were they were built out of uh, porous lime stucco and porous lime mortar. And um, they went straight down to the ground with no vapor barrier. So the function of that structure is to draw moisture up from the ground or, say, through your walls if it's flooded, um, and, and and be able to permeate um, and then eventually dry out. Um, this is something that Mediterranean and Caribbean architecture is just, that's what we do, you know, Um you have something that's permeable, usually pretty high in calcium, and it, it, it dries out, it breathes. Um, now, you do have an issue with um, historic tombs that have been quote-unquote restored with impermeable um, modern materials like Portland cement. Um, but that vapor barrier, there's still no vapor barrier. They still go straight down to the ground. So if you end up in a situation where something is an encased in a hard shell, but it still can pull moisture up from the ground... Um, And then you have some flooding, the pressure differential of what would happen in that situation, that pressure has to equalize. Um, And so it sounds dramatic, but they will blow apart. It's
0: the beer can in the freezer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, modern tombs that are made out of modern materials—they have vents, so that works out just fine. You know, there's some way to to equalize that that pressure. It's really just the interface between old materials and new materials, um, and flooding super exacerbates that. Um, now, um, some folks might be remembering the flooding that happened in 2016 out of Baton Rouge. Um, there was a lot of um, docu- There's a lot of re- reports about um, caskets floating away. And I remember hearing about it on NPR because like somebody called and they were like, I have caskets in my backyard. And they were like, oh, that's because they bury above ground over there. And she was like, yes. And I was like, no, absolutely not. Because the above ground burial actually, it works out well. You know, like I said, if, if they function this way, the tomb fills up with water, the tomb dra- drains out. Like you, you don't really, it, it is it is functional. However... In the area, the caskets
0: aren't floating out and busting through exactly stone unless no. you have a
1: tomb that's that's already been
2: broken. Yes. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, it definitely it requires
0: something else, right? Like a piece of debris breaking. Yeah. The battery. Yeah.
2: Or, well, and also the casket would need to still have its air seal, which I mean, that's only the very, very newest of uh, like most recent of burials um but also what, what happened outside of baton rouge most of the burial like the cemeteries up there are cast concrete vaults that are just sat on top of the ground mm-hmm. and they're just treated as if those were tombs, which they're not but they you know they're very heavy and um so what they create is they don't have that same pressure differential right it just turns into a big old bubble of air underwater and again it has to equalize so what will happen is it's it will blow, it will blow apart, and then usually the casket escapes and goes floating down the street. Which we we, we have um, state laws that state that all of caskets have to have like a little scroll on them that have their identify identifying information for exactly that reason. Um, so yeah, that's that's cemeteries and flooding. Like for the most part um we don't really deal with it so much in new orleans um upriver, downriver, st rose had some pretty rough stuff um baton rouge um but yeah not for us so much not anymore lafayette number one didn't flood for sure never it's five feet above sea level
0: and a lot of the cemeteries even that experienced flooding it was a temporary kind of storm surge flooding that almost immediately drained away sure. right
2: yeah yeah with the exception of st vincent de paul st louis number one and two for a little while um, but really, Saint Vincent de Paul. But nobody cares about Saint Vincent de Paul. So like, there's no photographs of that. Nobody saw that. You know, like it's 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 like the redheaded stepchild. Nobody likes that cemetery. <laughs> yeah. Which actually, you know, what if somebody goes and visits the cemetery in New Orleans? Visit Saint Vincent de Paul on Louisa Street. It's one of my favorite cemeteries. It's beautiful, and um, and it has um, it has it has not really been messed with too much by by folks trying to quote unquote preserve or restore it. You know, and it's it's just a beautiful place.
0: I guess my biggest question would be is that, you know, we kind of started this episode with you talking about why New Orleans. Mm. Beyond that, why New Orleans cemeteries? Because certainly in the world of preservation, and this is something that we talk about a lot, there is never going to be a shortage of jobs. No. In terms of New Orleans cemeteries, as opposed to, you know, small family cemeteries or other cities, what keeps you coming back? Because I can imagine that there are both rewards and frustrations. But what is it, do you think, that continues to be compelling about New Orleans
2: cemeteries? All right. uh, So I'm going to start by explaining um, something I've always said about New Orleans cemeteries is that every cemetery has a guy. Like, every cemetery has a guy. And you got to find the guy because, like, you're not going to understand the cemetery until you meet the guy. I mean, not if you're visiting the cemetery, but if you want to work in the cemetery. Um, and sometimes the guy is an old preservationist who, for some reason, has just, you know, become attached to this one cemetery and he wants to be there all the time. Sometimes it's a crazy homeless person who just doesn't have anything – who spent so much time there that he just became attached to the place. Every cemetery has a guy. Um, and why they get attached is um, something I try I, – I, I could – muse about why they end up getting attached but you know what like it's silly that i say any of this because i'm the guy you know like i i, I know i am you know um i know that i became attached to them because um <laughs> i say for for all of us who work in the new orleans cemeteries that we're, we're all there because we're not all there and we're all there because, you know, we, we, we struggle. There's there's plenty of people who work in the cemeteries who were there because they had extreme, like, really intense personal tragedies, and this is how they deal with it, um, you know.
0: And I know I've heard you say that pretty much about cemetery people in general. Well, in
2: general, yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I think that there's definitely some metaphysical stuff going on, you know. And there's, there's definitely a part of me that wonders if I will ever personally grow beyond whatever it is being in the cemetery gives me, you know. But I don't think – I think I'm too far in at this point. It doesn't really matter. Um, You're a lifer? Uh, well, no, I mean, yeah, absolutely, because there's there's that there's that very very like subconscious motivation that I know is there that I probably could not tell you exactly what it is, but I know it's there. But it's also um, just the pleasure of the workmanship. Like I've studied the people who who built New Orleans cemeteries for ten years to touch their work, um, to be part of the care and the the legacy of their work um, is is is. Matters so much to me, and then to be able to meet the family members who care about those those places, and being able to empower them to care for their own family tombs, um, it is it is so deeply gratifying. It is so beyond what just being a job. Um, that I, I I don't think I know that this is my life's work. I know that my my life will uh, will absolutely change the direction um, that some of the cemeteries are going in in terms of preservation versus perishing um and uh like i, I couldn't i couldn't ask for a, a better calling you know um so yeah that's i will be here until this, this the the cemetery is i will the city is no longer inhabitable we'll we'll see how long that takes
0: come the revolution
2: or emily
0: will, emily will be here or
2: or air the waters rise
0: more likely so new orleans right Well, I hope that gave you just a little bit of background on New Orleans cemeteries. And it's one of those things that I almost the whole time I've been thinking, what can we tell them to make them understand? But it's one of those things that I had read a lot about New Orleans cemeteries. I didn't understand much of it until I was actually here. You can see pictures. You can read descriptions. They are cemeteries that do really need to be experienced, which I think is even someplace like Mount Auburn, it's an incredible place, it's beautiful, but I don't feel like going to Mount Auburn, I had this transformative experience. New Orleans cemeteries, they are an experience. And it's one of those things, if you ever get the chance to visit whichever of them that you choose, they all have a certain character and flavor that, at least outside the US, I don't think that you are ever going to get. And I think that's the reason that so many people who are not cemetery people leave so affected by them. So hopefully with Mardi Gras coming up, whether or not you are prepared to celebrate 40 days of abstinence during Lent, this gives you just a delightful, sexy little slice of New Orleans (laughs) to get you you ready for the season. Um, As always, we thank everybody for their ratings and reviews. Um, They really do make a big difference in terms of making us more visible to people and getting the word out there. As always, you can find us at www.tombwithaview.weebly.com Ashley, where can they find us on social media?
1: You can find us on Instagram at tomb period with period A period View.
0: And on Facebook at tombwithaviewpodcast Podcast. Um, as always, you know, we post a lot of really great extra content. And during our visit to New Orleans, we've taken a lot of great pictures. We've taken some videos. Um, And we're going to be tying in some of the things that we've talked about in other episodes, particularly our Cemeteries in the News podcast back from around New Year's. We're going to be talking a lot about that. Um, So tune in for that because we're going to try to tie into a lot of what we talked about um, in terms of Lost Link cemeteries and Cancer Alley and whatnot. So hopefully we'll have some really interesting tidbits, Um, not just the sexy stuff, the not fun, nitty gritty reality that really needs to be addressed, particularly in terms of social justice and things like that. Um, stay tuned next week because we are going to continue our discussion with Emily um, and we're going to discuss in more detail some of the actual physical work that she is doing in New Orleans cemeteries, which I think in terms of the people that we talk to, this, this is going to be pretty exciting. So you guys are going to want to come back next week. Uh, But for now, uh, I want to thank Emily for being with us tonight, um, for welcoming us to her home.